we're starting a new series that we've called that I've called uh, different and the basic premise behind this series is simple that if you have faith in your life that connects you to in a living way to Jesus Christ uh, that faith ought to make a difference in your life and that faith ought to cause you to live your life differently than others I I'm going to explore this uh, series, uh, not so much by writing new messages, but I'm going to look back over the last decade of preaching and teaching, and uh, I kind of want to pull some of the messages that have meant the most to me to answer the question, how should faith uh, make a difference in your life and help us to live lives that are different and impactful? So let's go to one of my favorite passages uh, that I just absolutely love in chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 1. First eight verses and verse 13. If you're able to stand, we encourage you to stand. We're going to read this together. A difference. Listen to this amazing narrative. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness? Shout kindness for Jonathan's sake. He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God, God's kindness. Everybody shout God's kindness. To them, Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons still alive. He's um, crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Mekir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Mekir's home. Now his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greeting, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show, everybody shout kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such... Everybody shout kindness to a dead dog like me. Verse 13. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Everybody shout amen. amen. Please be seated. In the first chapter of 1 Peter, you'll find one of the primary disciples of Jesus teaching those who would follow Jesus with these words. And everything you do, be holy. Then he quotes the Hebrew text from that, where God declares, be ye holy, for I am holy. Everybody shout holy. That's the biblical word for different. Saying that if you are following Jesus, you should be different, not in a kind of creepy, frightening kind of way. Different, not in a kind of I'm better than you kind of way. Uh, 
but different in the sense that you have been grabbed by the love of God and it has created in you a loyalty to God and it is that loyalty that is the greatest loyalty in your life and it affects how you live. Your loyalty to God affects how you approach work. It should affect how you spend your money. It ought to affect the kind of decisions you make in your personal life. Your loyalty to God ought to affect uh, how you treat other people, those that you like hanging around with and those that you don't like hanging around, your loyalty to God ought to impact how you engage. Listen to what Jesus says about this notion of being loyal to God impacting you. And first in John chapter 13, here's what Jesus says. He says, uh, here's a new commandment I give you. Take all the old commandments, roll it up in this one. Love one another. Shout one another. It's talking to the Christian community that's full of everybody. The good, the bad, the ugly. And here's a little insight. All of us have a little good, bad, and ugly. And Jesus says, and I have loved you with, with all that I am. And I'm saying to you, if you're loyal to me based on how I've loved you, you need to learn to love each other. All the good, the bad. Love, loyalty to God drives a difference. Everybody shout difference. Oh, that's what I like about this text. It is really talking about love. And as I back into this text, I, I um, on yesterday, I think uh, over a billion people, I'm sure you were among them, watched the royal wedding. And uh, I had to prepare for you guys, so I didn't have a chance to watch the royal wedding. But I recorded it. Thank God for DVRs. And so when I get home, after I watch the Warriors, <laughs> I will then, later tonight, enjoy all the festivities around this uh, remarkable world wedding. However, while I was preparing, I got a YouTube clip, some, I don't know, algorithm, however it happened, popped on my thing. And it featured the uh, fiery preacher, the African-American, first African-American bishop of the Episcopal Church. And he, he gave the, the, he preached a sermon for uh, 10 minutes, a 10-minute sermon. And so I, was, I watched it, and I was so both impressed and blessed. I mean, I mean here he was uh, in this kind of super formal, stuffy, the queen, the prince, the actors and actresses, everybody was there. And he was both brilliant and funny and just black. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. He was fully himself as he exegeted the text and preached. And I said, whoa, that's the bomb. I mean, if he can preach like that amidst the queen and the princes and all the knights, I, I'm all right then. I can, I can be black at NBCC, right? <laughs> Bring my passion and all of that to the table. I like it. I like it. Anyway, the power of his, the, the PowerPoint of his message was really one. 
It was all about what? You said it. Love. His point was that the, the, the God who is love made all that we know in the world from a heart of love. And if we can release that love, that, that God kind of love, it can literally not only change our lives, but in fact, change the world. Everybody shout God kind of love. That's what's actually hidden in this text about David and Mephibosheth. This notion of a God kind of love. It's a radical love that has the tendency of breaking every category that you can imagine and reaching and loving all those who we would tend to conclude is beyond the reach of love. It's in the text and it's, it's easily overlooked because they use a couple of words to describe it. And in, in chapter, uh, in verse one, it starts off by saying, uh, you know, David was asking the question, is there anybody uh, in Saul's family who's still alive? Anybody so that I can show some kindness. Everybody shout kindness. Uh, the word beneath that, the Hebrew word beneath that is hesed. Everybody say hesed. All right, hesed. That's the Hebrew word. That is, that is a kind of radical love. We see it again in verse 7 when he says, uh, you know, if anybody is still alive from Saul's family, uh, because ultimately I want to show them God's kindness. Everybody shout God's kindness. Same word, hesed, hesed, hesed. And then we see it again in verse 7 when, when he brings Mephibosheth before him and he gives to Mephibosheth this lavish expression of grace. He restores all of the wealth and all of that on there. And he says, I, I have intended to show you kindness, but the word beneath that is still hesed, this God kind of love. Mind-blowing love. We, we see it in Psalms 23, verse 6. It's easily missed. We read it uh, at verse 6. It says, surely... Your goodness and what? Mercy. Uh, the New Living Translation puts it like this. Surely God's goodness and unfailing love. Everybody shout unfailing love. That the God has a love that finds you wherever you are and never fails you. See, people, we have failing love up to date down tomorrow but this is remarkable hesed this is a this is a, a another way of translating it is a loyal love a radical loyal unfailing love or god kindness if you will in the text now we see how it works the two main characters uh that's the text starts off with is saul saul is the first king of uh, of Israel and what's unique about it in 1 Samuel chapter 9 you'll find how it was that God called him to be king he sent Samuel the prophet to him and he said to him You're, I've picked you to be the first king and here's how Saul talks about himself listen I like this he says essentially you know I'm from the smallest tribe in Israel Benjamin and my family is the most insignificant family in the tribe and by implications, I'm the most unreligious, insignificant person in this insignificant family. And you're calling me to be king? 
I thought that I was beyond the reach of something like that. And it's just a reminder that God is always looking first and foremost for the people who feel like they are beyond the reach of love. I like David because if I fast forward to chapter 16 and in 1 Samuel's and Saul ultimately becomes king and he's disobedient and he misuses and at the end of the day God fires him and and, and shows him that now David is the man that, that I'm raising up and, 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 and Saul is so jealous that he tries to kill David and, and God takes Jonathan, Saul's son, and helps to save David. It's one thing to say that I've got God kind of love in my life. It's another thing to be able to recognize God's love when it's happening in your life. And David recognized that when the son of the man who's trying to kill me is my best friend, that must be God loving me somewhere. And so Jonathan ultimately cuts a covenant with David and says, look, I know you're going to be king. He says, I know you're going to be king, not because you're so brilliant, not because you're such a great warrior. You're going to be king. I know you're going to be king because God has declared that you're going to be the next king of Israel. Now, here's a little word in this for anybody here just listening. Listen, uh, 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 when God says you have an assignment, when God says you have a position, when God says I'm calling you to do this particular work, it really doesn't matter how little education you have or how great your challenge is in front of you or who's trying to stop you. If God has declared I have this for you, the only person can stop you is you. God has for you, can't anybody do anything about it but you. But you. And so Jonathan says, look, I want you to make a covenant with me. Because in that day, it was the king's tradition that when they assumed power, they would wipe out the heirs of their predecessors to keep people from uprising against. He says, look, I don't want you, I want you to preserve my line. So now, verse 1 opens up. David has consolidated his power and he remembers how God was active in his life through Jonathan and he remembers the kind of way that God loved him and the covenant that he makes. And so he says, is there anybody around from Saul's house that I can show some God kindness, some lavish, radical, that breaks all category kindness to the same way that God showed to me. That's a great story about David, and, uh, and I love it. It's when, how when the prophet went to David's house to tell him that God had picked him to be king many years earlier, uh, Jesse was his father, and the prophet asked for the father to bring all his boys out, and he, put the anointing over them to see which one would, God would say is the one. And Jesse brought out all seven of his boys. Seth brought out seven boys. And the prophet finished and he said, none of these boys are the one. And then the prophet said, are you sure you don't have any more kids? And then Jesse said, oh, yes. 
my eighth boy. Yes, he's out in the uh, out there with the sheep. You know, he's a kind of ruddy kind of fella. You know, you you uh, you don't. Uh, yeah, I know God ain't don't want to do anything with him. He's out there with the sheep. He's smelling. The prophet said, "Well, I'll just sit here and wait. Uh, go get him." And when David walked through the door, the text says, "And God said to the prophet, that's the one I've chosen.'" You see the point? You see the point? You see the point? Ed, the one that everybody has counted out. The one that even his father has forgotten about. See, some of you come from well-resourced families, but the reality is you grow up in a family knowing and believing that mama's favorite was the other three, not you. Come on. The reality of the family is that you grew up there, come on, uh, uh, and you have yet to hear daddy say, I'm proud of you, but he shows his pride is for all the other kids. He, you kind of forgotten. You kind of forgotten. And God says, I, I just want to talk to you a little bit. I see you, and I claim you. That's it, you see, that's it. That's, that's a radical God kind of law. David said, I want to show some hesed. Can I? And so the steward of Saul's property comes forth and says, uh, yeah, Jonathan has a son who's alive. And... Um, He's um, crippled in both feet. Everybody say crippled. Uh, last week, I talked about the woman bent over the crippled woman. Uh, if you were here uh, this week, I thought I'd talk about a crippled man. I'm a crippled in both feet. Shout crippled in both feet. Well, he could have meant by that. The scholars have tried to figure it out. He might have been saying, well, David, you know, the fact of the matter is he's crippled in both feet. He poses no harm to you. But most likely he was saying, because David has already said, he didn't say call him here so I can kill him. David says, I want to I bless him with lavish love. So most likely, most likely uh, what Zeba was saying was, well, there is a boy of Jonathan that is still alive, but I don't really think he qualifies for what you're talking about because he's not just crippled in one foot, he's crippled in both feet. Shout both feet. See, when you're crippled in one feet, you're still good for something. When you're crippled in one feet, you can still work. You know, you can you just use an extra stick. You can, you can still work. When, you, when you're crippled in one foot, uh, uh, you, 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 you have potential. But when in that day you're crippled in both feet, that means you, you're, you're not good for nothing. You, you can't work. That, that would suggest in that day and time that you have no potential. Now, here is a word when David, the king, says, where is he? He's in Lodabar. And David says, call him for. Well, here is a wonderful word David is illustrating for you and for me how God sees these situations. And what he's saying, here's a word for anyone who's disabled, uh, who's in a wheelchair, who's blind. Here's a word for anyone who's struggling with mental health challenges. And you've concluded that you are good for nothing. Here's a word for anyone whose past is so broken that you've concluded that it has broken and destroyed your future. God declares, listen here, he says, I can take anybody and do the incredible with. Come on. As I asked Roosevelt, he was in a wheelchair. I made him president. Ask Stevie, he couldn't see and he changed the world with his music. Ask uh, 
uh, uh, Thomas Edison's mother who struggled with mental illness, and yet she raised the genius of the century. I know how to love. Come on now. I can take anybody and make greatness out of them. The only thing that disqualifies you from God's plan ultimately is you. You're refusing to listen. You're refusing to believe. You're refusing to trust. You're refusing to surrender. But he's saying, I, I, I want you. You. And the more disqualified you look in the world, the greater I can use Shout Lodabar. David said, where does he live? Oh, he said, well, he lives in Lodabar. You know, my wife and daughter, they tease me about how my country accent causes me to mangle some words along the way. And, uh, and so I said, well, that's true. And I, you know, and I, I think about this Lodabar. Everybody shout Lodabar. You know, for me, I start talking about it, my country accent gets in. Before I know it, I'm saying, below the bar. <laughs> Come on, what do you say when we say, below the bar? Come on, below the bar, say it again. Below the bar, below the bar, below the bar. See, when you're crippled in both feet, when you have concluded, and I just want you to know that, come on now, you can have tons of resources and education and still conclude that you are crippled in both feet, that you are not usable by God. You see what I'm saying? And when you're crippled in both feet, come on now, you, 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 you live what I call in the place called below the bar, below the expectations of God's best, below the bar, below believing that God can use you below the bar below believing that God's grace is even for you below the bar you live in the place where you see more obstacles and opportunities where you focus on what you can't do can't be rather than on who God has called you to be below the bar that's where Mephah Hevesheth lived below the bar let me run a test to see is your address Below the bar. If you were watching the royal wedding on yesterday and you found yourself saying something like this, I wish I was her. <laughs> or I wish I was him. That's probably a sign to suggest that you are living in below the bar. You, 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 you know why? Because you have concluded that what you see on TV is far more valuable than who you are. You, 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 and and you, you know what you've missed? What you have missed is, uh, see, you are the only you in all eternity. You are the only you that God has. Before you were born, there was never another you. When you leave the planet, there will never, ever be another you. You are uniquely shaped and different. And God said, don't worry about trying to be somebody else. You can never be the best at being somebody else. You can be the best being who I've called you to be. Be the you I made you to be. 
you know, living in below the bar as a way of seducing us. Well, how did uh, Mephibosheth become crippled in the first place? Well, what a great question for you to ask. Second uh, Samuel 4.4 4 gives us how he became crippled. It says that uh, when the news came to his house that his father, Jonathan, his grandfather, had been killed in war, he, uh, Mephibosheth was five years old. The nurse grabbed him up to try to escape because the, uh, the enemy was coming towards the, to, to, to take over the house. And so she was rushing and she grabbed him up. And the text says that on her way out, she dropped him. Everybody shout, dropped him. Five years old. And when she dropped him, it says he, 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 he crushed his ankle. Now, what the, the, the theologians say, most likely she didn't just drop him. She stumbled and dropped him and fell on him. And that led to a crushing of his ankle. Uh, and that's how he got crippled and why he ended up in Lodabar. Well, let me ask you, who dropped you? Let me tell you a story. I, I was in Boston, pastoring Rock's Prayers, and on one Sunday, just like this one, uh, I preached two services, two gatherings, and, and I had had a host of meetings afterwards, and then I had some counseling sessions, and then at about three o'clock, the building was empty, and so was I, and I headed towards the the door. I was the last one to leave, and I opened the front door, getting ready to exit. There was a young woman standing outside the door. Her hair was disheveled. Her her clothes were dirty. Her breath was perfumed with alcohol. And she said to me, "My life is in a mess. So you, I'm looking for the preacher. Uh, uh, can you tell me where he is?" And I was exhausted, y'all. I I wanted to say, "I, I don't know where the preacher is. And, you know, I want to come back next Sunday." <laughs> I'm just being fruitful. Can I just be honest? I, I, I was exhausted, but, but, but the integrity within me, I felt like God was watching. I'm standing in the church. I, I just wealth to be honest. Come on now. I said, I am the preacher. She said, can, can you help me? I, 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 my life is in tetters. Can I just come in and talk to you for a few moments? And, 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 and I wanted to say, well, can you just come back next week at about 11 o'clock? Afterwards, but then I, I remembered that I couldn't remember talking about hisself, God hisself. I could not ever remember time when I turned to Jesus and He said, Come back next week. Come on. And so, since I'm representing Him, I, I, I needed to bear some, some more grace, some hyssop. I said, Come on in. And she sat down in the pew and I sit in another in front of her and she just laid it out. She said, Her mama uh, won't talk to her. Her sponsor has left confidence, lost confidence in her. He said, she said, she said uh, that, uh, uh, that, that, that she's, she's lost confidence in herself. She said, every time I try to get it right, I mess it up. And I mess it up and I mess it up and I mess it up. And she said, can you help me? And I sit there and I thought for a moment, I'm thinking, I, I can't help myself. 
Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Because we all got some good, some bad, some ugly, do we not? Come on, we all got some stuff. And, and, and this stuff is complicated. But, 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 but if you are open to the instrument of the God of creation who made everybody, come on now, uh, 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 he can drop something right in the moment when you need it. So I sat back and I said, in myself, quietly, God help. And he dropped an insight. And then I said to her, I said, you've told me about all your pains. I said, now, what I need you to do now is tell me about the pain. She said, excuse me. I said, yes. Uh, I said, we all have a pain that's bigger than all the other pain that drives us in the wrong direction. I said, it's usually rooted in our childhood. In other words, I was trying to find out who dropped her. And, and, and she said, she said, she said, oh, I, I don't. She said, I don't understand what you're saying. I, don't, I just, my life is just, I said, no, no, no. If you would just be quiet just for a moment and allow the silence of the sanctuary to sink and just be quiet and get in touch with your feelings. Uh, and and, and I, I believe you will remember the pain. So let's just be quiet just for a moment. And in a few seconds, she broke the quietness. She said, he left me. And I said, who left you? She said, my father. And she began to describe the situation like Marco, uh, the prince that got married yesterday. She too was biracial. Her father was African-American. Her mother was an Asian-American. And they had come to Boston. She was 12 years old. She was, in fact, the apple of her father's eye. She talked about how he loved on her and cared for her. And then one day, he was gone. With no explanation with 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 uh, next thing she knew there was a divorce and the next thing she knew he she just couldn't find him anywhere no word from him and for 15 years she said she searched for him she searched for him and finally she discovered he was in florida and when she flew to florida she got she discovered that when she arrived she arrived one day too late he died the day just before she got there see her father dropped her at 12 crippled her in both feet and then and when, when I heard that I, I realized what was going on see she had a hole that was vacated because of the absence of her father and so I began to talk to her I said I understand that your father has been missing from your life but I want to give you a word here's the word you did not come from your father and mother you came through your father and mother you came from the creator of the universe he ultimately is the great parent of your life and I just thought to tell you he has loved you with an everlasting love hiss up come on now he has never forsaken you never abandoned you come on now from the crack house to the church house he's been with you every day and he's saying let me love you I can love you better than your daddy loves you I wish you could have seen the reaction that took place. The action that took place. Come on, I just can I just ask you who dropped you? Who dropped you? See, uh, 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 there's not much difference between me and that woman. And I hear you now. You say, well, wait a moment, Pastor. Wait a moment. Did you not say that her hair was disheveled? I did. Well, Pastor, you don't have any hair. What do you mean? There's not much difference between the two of you. Uh, 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 you said that the clothes were dirty. Your clothes not dirty. Come on. Uh, uh, did you say breath, got alcohol? You don't drink. You don't drug. You don't do any of that. No. Uh, well, well, how are you comparing yourself? Because I got dropped, y'all. 
The reason why I love this text is because life dropped me. When I was six months old, I broke out with infantile rash that left me scarred for life. Life dropped me. When a year later, my father dropped me. He, he showed up after the hospital and said, you're not mine, and, and rejected and abandoned me. Come on now. And, and, and I ended up in Lodabar. Come on, while I was in Cushada, I, I was growing up, and I was destructive because I didn't know about his hyssop love. I, 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 I just felt ugly, so I acted ugly. Felt stupid so I, I acted stupid I'm telling you my story nobody would have believed as a matter of fact I ran into one of my former teachers a few years ago he's now a pastor and I was a pastor we're going up a pulpit together he said Herman is that you I said yes Reverend because he is me he said Herman I still have nightmares about when you were in my class <laughs> nobody would have ever believed that the, the young man who would take rubber bands and put them together and, and take little strips of paper and turn it into, into slingshot paper. Come on now. And pop young ladies on the backside. Nobody would ever believe he would be a pastor today. Come on now. Nobody would ever believe that that young man would sit in an auditorium would make spitballs. Come on and throw it on people all over the place. No one would have suggested he's going to be, come on, uh, uh, preaching on a Sunday morning. Nobody who, who knew him then, teachers who Pray, Lord, please don't let him get in my class. None of them would have believed that this young man, come on now, God would pick him up and turn him around and turn him right side up and bring him to where he is. But I tell you, I ran into Jesus, y'all. I ran into his hits of love, his grace, his forgiveness, his purpose, his power. And even though I was crippled in both feet, God lifted me to where I am today. That's the God that wants to love you it's a radical kindness breaks all category it restores everybody shout restores oh, uh, restore from what restore what that's I can hear the questions you're asking I, I like the way restore from you watch the text watch the text verse 6 says his name was Mr. Fevisheth he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson, he came to David and fearing that the king would wipe him out. He, the Hebrew means he fell on his face. He said, by demonstration, I'm your servant. Don't kill me. See, some of us won't go before God because we're afraid he's going to kill us. We got, we got, we've got stuff ringing in our ears about what we learned early on about how God treats folk who are bad. And yet, did I not tell you earlier that everybody has some bad, some good, and some ugly? Did I not tell you that? And, 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 and so we, we are afraid to go before the God of lightning and thunder. But, but that God showed up in Jesus. Come on now. And he says, if you grew up in a house of tragedy and pain, that's the house of Saul. Uh, I, I've come here today asking, where are you? Can you come? I can see this man. Lord have mercy. I can, I can see this, this fellow crippled in both feet, y'all. And, and he can't, it's hard to get around him. And, and, and they put him off because David sent a ride and brought him. And I can see him, he's, he's trying to get into the palace. And the kids are making fun of him like they used to do. But he, he, he said, you know, I can't, I got to ignore that because the king called me. Come on. <laughs> and, and the palace guard is saying, we don't, we don't, we don't, you, somebody like you, you're not supposed to be here. But he said, I understand, but the king called me. And I, I can see him coming, but when he gets in the presence, he's afraid. 
David says what God says to y'all today. Don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid. He says, watch this. He says, I intend to show you some heads of love. Radical kindness. He says, I'm going to take all the property that used to belong to your grandfather. Watch it. I'm going to give it to you. All the servants that he used to have, I'm giving it to you. Uh, all the property, I'm giving it all to you. And guess what? You're going to sit and eat at my table. I'm going to treat you like my own son. Well, shout restore. Okay, you see, see what, what life will do in, Lob- in, in Lodabar is that it will damage your self-perception. Because what is his response? His response is, oh, what uh, has, who, who is your servant that you would show such God kindness to a dead dog like me? See, I would have thought that he would have started celebrating, uh, but he said a dead dog. Listen, sh- shout dead dog. I mean, I mean, a dog is bad enough. But, but even a dog has, has some, some, some potential to bless. I mean, if you tell a dog, go fetch, he'll go get your shoes and bring them. Come on. Uh, 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 if, if a dog is considered a man or a woman, best friend. I know some people who've kicked some other people out and kept the dog. <laughs> a dog can be helpful, y'all. But a dead dog, what can you do with a dead dog? A dead dog is beyond hope. And what he's saying is, who am I? I'm beyond hope. And, and he had forgotten who he is, y'all. But the writer's trying to remind us. He says he's the son of Jonathan. That means Jonathan is a prince. He's the son of a prince. Saul is his granddaddy. He's the grandson of a, of a king. In other words, Mephibosheth held the same position that Prince Harry, who got married on yesterday, hell. Come on now. Prince Harry's father, Charles, is the prince. His mama is the queen. Y'all ain't listening. So Mephibosheth and and Prince Harry, they were in the same position. But Prince Harry had an understanding of who he is. But Mephibosheth, the life, had broken his identity. But if you let God love you the way God wants to love you, he'll restore your sense of value. He'll show you, come on now, you are worth my sending my son, dying on Calvary's cross, getting up to give you what you can't get on your own. Um, watch it. When I get through with you, you're going to remember your royal. I'm going to move you from poverty to wealth. I'm going to move you from outside the town into Jerusalem. I'm going to move you from a place of no influence to sit you at my table where all the affairs of states are discussed and now you have great impact. In other words, just let me have your life and give me time because it won't happen overnight, but over time, come on now, if you would just execute what I tell you, I'll take your upside down life and turn it right side up because that's just how I love y'all. Isn't that amazing? But all you have to do is to be able to believe it. Well, let me tell you the test of my belief. And this is why I conclude. Notice how this story ends. So often in the church, we like to tie things up neatly. But in life, things are not tied up neatly. While this is a healing story, the man does not become uncrippled. At least not in his feet. The text says in verse 13... And so, Mephibosheth was crippled in both 
feet. But he lived in Jerusalem, and he ate at the king's table. And you, you think he, he, he would have become uncrippled. Well, he did, but he didn't. He, he, but it's, it's, he's still crippled. Yeah, well, let me explain to you, and I'll conclude here. Here it is. Listen. When I was about 14 years old, my birth mom came back into my life, and she said to me, you're a scar, and I know people are making fun of you. You're now a teenager. I'm willing to send you to a place and get a, a, a wig fitted for you so we can cover up the scars. And she said, think about it. There was something instinctively that wanted to say no within, but I... I stopped because God was already working by then. He was already turning me around. He was already transforming how I saw myself, therefore how people saw me. And then I went to one of my friends. She's still one of my best friends today, like a sister, Charlene. We call her Charlie. And I went to her house and I said, I told her what happened. She said, well, Herman, you know, hyssop love. She said, Herman, you, you can get a wig if you want. But I'm just telling you, uh, we like you the way you are. As a matter of fact, she said, we love you the way you are. Come on. And she said, she said, you, you can try to cover up. She said, Herman, we don't even see your scars. She said, we just see you. Come on, that's what happens when the glory of God begins to work in your life. But then, come on, come on, run fast. When I got a little older, I, I, I was able, I had the resources if I wanted to do plastic surgery. But by then, God had been so great in my life, I concluded, you know what? I'm going to be like Mephibosheth. I'm going to sit at the king's table, and I'm going to let everybody see that I'm crippled in both feet. Why? Why? I want everybody to see my scars. Why? Why? Because see, these scars, they used to represent shame and guilt and powerlessness and lostness. But now, after God has loved me with his soul, come on now, that his of love. Oh, my God, the, the same scars, you have to squint to see them, but get close enough by the way you got all of y'all got scars come on now you just got to get close enough to see you uh, squint to get see you and when you see them you see the evidence of God's grace the evidence of God's love the evidence of God's mercy the evidence of God's power with scars y'all ain't listening to me I'm the husband of Dr. Rhonda Hamilton with scars I'm the father of Jonathan and Lauren with scars I'm the pastor of New Beginnings Community Church of the Bay Area, broken, clippered, with both feet, with scars. God is using me, and he will use you. Praise God. See, so what I've just explained to you is why I try to be loyal to God because of how he has loved me. I've just explained to you why I'm so passionate about trying to preach Jesus to as many as I can because of how he continues to love this imperfect me. He's the one I want to introduce you to. Amen. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.